what we're going through this time around is going to be a little bit different, I think, because I'm going to be finishing up my uh, telling my story, but also um, I'm going to be finishing up the whole thing. I think we're here. We're, th we're there finally. So some interesting pieces of note is you might hear some extra things in the background just because um, I am not at the usual recording place. The usual recording place actually doesn't exist anymore. And that's okay, and we'll get to that later. But the other piece of that, the reason I am in an unfamiliar place, is because I am uh, quarantining. So you might hear it in my voice just a little bit. Uh, yeah, I got COVID after uh, two years of it being out there in the ether, um, two and a half years, I guess. Here we are. Um, it's an interesting liminal space that I think will make this whole thing um, really come from an interesting mindset. So uh, it'll be curious to see how this half-fevered, uh, slight loss of senses, because I did get that. I got the um, uh, the loss of taste. And honestly, I feel it a little bit in my body, too. There's a little bit of loss of sensation as far as, like, um, sensitivity to touch. It, it's not that it's not there. It's just a little different. It's like being slightly novocaine up or something like that. So uh, either way... Um, that's what we're starting with, and it's less than ideal. Uh, also, less than ideal is uh, that it's summertime, and we're talking about death, and we're talking about uh, accepting things not in the abundance. Um, but here we are, I'm looking outside, and uh, the weather is nice. It's about 90 degrees and uh, sunny, and uh, I'm hauled up inside instead. So it's both fitting and not fitting which on a bigger level is absolutely fitting. So let's get started. All right, so let's see, what did we talk about last? We talked about um, uh, my drug trip uh, and the crazy visions and revelations that came from that. Um, and not only the visions and revelations in the moment, but sort of letting those things mull over and um, having that affect my relationship to what I perceive as God um, and having this emergence of this other part of myself um, that was always there but but was quiet, um, coming more to the surface and, and learning to speak um, and to uh, be a more active part of my identity. And... Um, yeah, the interesting thing about all that is, is you have all this crazy change and all this newness and, um, and then it just kind of fades back into the everyday. And this was the weirdest thing to experience because I had all these changes and I was changed. Um, it's not that it like reversed or anything like that, but there seemed to be this momentum that uh, started and, and thrust a lot of things at once um, that, uh, uh, you know, it was like, well, if this changes, then it means this changes, then it means this changes, and this changes, and this changes. And uh, it kind of spring springboarded me into um, 
this identity that was the same and, and also totally different. Um, I don't think people didn't recognize me anymore as myself. There wasn't anything as profound as that, but there's a lot more that I was questioning and a lot more that I was uh, reinventing about myself. And um, that kind of just disappeared. And this seems to be a, a pretty common uh, experience, b both with psychedelics and just with tr um, tremendous life change in general. You, you sort of have these thrusts forward and then it just kind of stops <laughs> and eases back in. And um, yeah, so that's where I found myself. And uh, I was still working the two jobs, the same jobs. In fact, I think I had gotten a third by that point. And um, I was reading a ton of books, listening to a ton of podcasts, and I was just moving along uh, with a bit of a newfound fervor and excitement for life. Um, things definitely felt a little bit more colorful in that time, a little bit more uh, exciting and open, but not necessarily profoundly different. Um, which maybe on a different level is is something big there too. Maybe that that's hinting on something that like uh, things can profoundly change, um, things that you would never expect, and then life is still just life at the end of the day. But uh, I can't really say that there was too much going on through most of 2019 except just a rhythm. And um, that's when the pandemic hit. But at the same time, I do kind of feel like I need to backtrack here because um, nothing really happened after the psychedelic trip. But there was actually a lot of things that happened before, and I didn't really mention it last time um, because I didn't want to convolute the narrative too much. But now now that we kind of know the context of, of what 2019 means to me, I think it it kind of works to step back and, and go back in time just a little bit. So one thing that happened in 2019 in between when I was given the mushrooms and when I took the mushrooms was a mission strip, which was such a weird thing to go on because I was already questioning everything. Um, I was questioning... Uh, especially Christianity, and um, for some reason, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to go down to Tijuana and do this, like, they, they called it a global immersion trip, and apparently they have a bunch of other ones that they do as well at different places, but the idea is that you um, you go down to that place, and you're not there to try to convert anybody, you're just there to witness, Um so, so the whole idea is that you're there to listen and you're there to uh, understand what's going on as best as you can during your time there and then just leave. Like you don't do any work. Um, in fact, you're, you're like a guest uh, and it's with a bunch of organizations that are telling you what they're doing already. <laughs> and um, it was quite a different experience from the normal missionary experience. Uh, and I want to talk about it more, but I think actually it would be better to talk about that at the end. So we'll bookmark that. And then the other thing that um, didn't really happen in 2019, but happened 
at the end of 2018 was that my grandma had passed away. And this actually hit me pretty hard because her ghost sort of haunted me through um, 2019 and especially going into the, um, the trip because uh, gender was something I was thinking about because there was the striking recognition that a lot of her story I didn't know just because it was sort of put to the sideline, that she was the supporting role for everything. And um, that she had made all these sacrifices, and we knew about these sacrifices, but she had made them for the family. And so really her story was about the family's story. And um, I remember, though, that I was able to talk to her before she passed away. It was about six months before she passed away. And I got to hear her perspective on a lot of things. And it was only, I don't know, an hour and a half conversation. I wish I would have had more um, more time with her. And it's sad that I didn't get that. But I do cherish it. And so I want to um, take a small second to step back in time. And it's going to be a little eerie but I'm going to play recording because I was recording it when I talked to her. And, um, yeah. So let me just play that for you. Change is inevitable. And That's I true. used to think I was so lucky because I would have so much more in common with my kids because than my mother did. <laughs> in my mother's age, yeah. cars were just, be, you know, oh. the cars, the phone. Yeah. There was no TV. Uh a lot of places didn't have electricity. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, there's not going to be, we're not going to have this generation gap, you know, with, between me and mine because, but boy, things still develop. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It is. It's very interesting. Um, and it's interesting to think, you know, because, like, your grandparents would have had very little difference between them and their grandparents. I think so. You know, I mean, there's still some stuff going on. You know, oh, yeah, you have the industrial is, yeah. things yeah. are changing, but not to the same extent. Well, you don't think large, so. You don't think so, uh, but it must fair. have been pretty big. Let me tell that's you what fair. was really big. They invented barbed wire. Oh, interesting. And people huh. were able to separate their lands. Interesting. Their yeah. And then a good gun. Good guns were developed. Okay, so yeah, no, I guess you're right. Yeah, there's always something that it's kind of traumatic to that generation it, it doesn't yeah. seem like it would be now yeah i, I guess you're right because we because we're thinking in retrospect yeah. that's just something that's always yeah. been plus diseases <clears throat> that's know, true yeah there are a lot of diseases that they didn't know how to cope with right we might have to deal with that again actually there's yeah. uh, resistant strength and stuff they're having a trouble battling with antibiotics well, um yeah the next couple decades depending on if they can figure out a new way, uh, that might not be a thing anymore. <laughs> we might have to deal with it. Well, and then there was a huge, what was it, flu epidemic that happened. Killed oh, yeah. millions of people. When was that? Like the early, like the... Uh, was it the seventh? No. Uh, I feel like it was the very late... Eight, well, there's Late a few. 1800s, Late 1800s, I think. Yeah. 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 Or maybe your early 1900s. I'm not yeah, that's sure. What I'm, yeah, it's somewhere in that 20-year yeah. range. Yeah. Somewhere at the turn of the century. Yeah. And I guess yeah, a lot huge, of people were yeah. killed. Yeah. Because there's you nothing mean, you can do about it. You just no. Either you make it or you don't. Yeah. 
So um, how's that for a transition? Uh, going back in time to 2018 so that I can play you a recording of my grandmother and I talking about a pandemic from 100 years ago so that I can segue into talking about the pandemic two years ago. Um, interesting to think about, too. I, I only just now realized it, but um, it's about an equal amount of time on either side of the pandemic. Um, two years before when she said that, and two years after as I'm talking now, um, there's this midpoint, which is the pandemic itself. So that's kind of strange, but um, I think a good recognition, and this is probably true for most people, is that I'm gonna get the timeline absolutely wrong. Because here's the thing about 2020 is it's like this strange gap year that doesn't exist on any real timetable. It's the doorway between the before and the after. It's this liminal space in and of itself that just doesn't, doesn't really have a proper time to it. It's, just, it's, it's a marker. <laughs> um, and yet, at the same time, it's like we never left it as well. Um, at least for some of us. I know for some of us, back to normal was exactly what we needed and uh, couldn't come soon enough. But for a lot of us, I think 2020 um, left an imprint and back to normal has been more of just kind of a holding pattern of sorts, uh, like a game that we're playing while we're biding our time to see whatever comes next. Um, I think I could probably get into that a lot more later, but I guess all I'm saying with that is when I talk about 2020, I might get my timelines wrong and I might have to backtrack or uh, retcon something and, and reconnect and um, backtrack and all that sort of stuff just to get the whole mess of it out and if i'm honest i did the same thing with the psychedelic trip and there's a lot of overlap between the two of those i can't speak for everybody obviously but i can speak for myself that those two events in my life very much have a similar feel that they're this space sort of outside the normal realm um, underneath and in between that um, filter in and out of each other in a way that feels like an insertion into a story, um, something from beyond the story that is trying to say something, that's trying to uh, course correct the story, maybe. I had uh, shuffled around jobs a bit, so let's see. One of them was at um, Bookshop Cafe, which is where I still work now. And another one was at um, a like a high-end kitchen, which originally was a job that I was doing deliveries for. And I crashed the company vehicle. And so they didn't know where to put me, and they put me on um, dishes instead. 
So I was probably the best paid dishwasher in town because I was still getting a wage from a more skilled job uh, that had more responsibilities. And um, yeah, they just couldn't hold on to a dishwasher like most places. So they were paying me like 15 an hour to just zone out on podcasts and um, and audiobooks from the library and to wash dishes. Uh, so it wasn't too bad in that respect. But those were my two jobs when the news hit that the pandemic was coming around. I I remember ghosts of it, actually. Um, people talking about this virus in China doing weird stuff and talks of like another avian flu or um, things getting out of hand and um, circulating through. And it felt very surreal and like far from home um, until where was it? You know, it's so funny to think back on this stuff, but um, was it Washington? Somewhere. It got to some port or something. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, it's here. And I think that's when everybody started to kind of panic about it and take it seriously. We had gone on a trip to Hawaii, which was altogether way too hectic and too much... Um, <laughs> moving around and trying to make things work and um i was glad to be back and it set into a kind of the sense of normalcy um because that was in february and i got just a couple weeks of that and then all of a sudden here we are and everything's closing down and nobody knows what's going to happen next and i remember not really caring about the dishwashing at that point immediately it was like oh, okay whatever i mean that's my podcast time, so I can do that from home. Who cares? I wasn't really connecting with coworkers. Um, I wasn't really finding a deeper purpose in it. It was just like a way to keep busy and make some bucks at the same time. In fact, I thought it was pretty cool because I was getting paid $15 an hour to listen to podcasts and do something active, which um, always kind of helped me listen to audio um, at a better comprehension anyway. So yeah, it was like, at the time, it felt like a win-win, but the weird thing was it didn't matter um, when it dropped. I, I couldn't care less that it was gone from my life. Uh, the bookshop, on the other hand, felt a lot um, more like a blow, like something that I didn't want to let go of because I was starting to get to know my coworkers. I was starting to get to know the books, and I was really starting to make a connection to... Uh, the place itself, it started to feel um, like an extension of whatever notion of home that I had, or maybe a nexus in some ways. Um, I think I mentioned that whole thing where I had gone when I had first gotten into Central Oregon and had this notion of like, oh, this feels like home. Uh, that's what the bookshop was starting to be for me. Home, on the other hand, had... Uh, some complications. In one sense, I very much felt welcome and felt like I belonged. I didn't feel like a stranger in this place that we were renting, but there was a bit of a divergence of conversation and ways of connecting, just because at this point I hadn't really been going to church anymore, and my roommates were I still had a lot of those questions up in the air from back when I had all this crazy new revelation stuff come at me all at once. And even though I had settled back into uh, 
a rhythm and a pattern, I hadn't really fully resolved it. And a lot of the reason for that was I didn't have many people that I could talk to it about. Um, it was just a lot of things that were so alien to what people were used to that I couldn't really, um, yeah, I couldn't really say anything. And so I was left to kind of process it on my own. But at the same time, I was filling my life with so much things and um, spending so much time working that I just didn't really have much of a resolution to all that. But I still knew it was there. It didn't just disappear. And so it left with this kind of weird, eerie sense of almost like the ghost of me in the house. Like I could sense that there was something that my roommates were feeling that was different, but they didn't exactly know what. And I knew there was something different, but I didn't know how to tell them. And so, it, yeah, I felt like I was the one doing the haunting in a weird way. And meanwhile, my boss, uh, being awesome as he is, decided to um, make it very clear to all of us that worked there that the doors were open whenever we wanted and we could come in and read all the books we want and make all the coffee we want and just hang out and let it be a refuge. Um, but I think I knew right away that I wouldn't take him up on that offer because part of what made the bookshop special and beautiful was the people and the conversations and the liveliness of it all. And I remember sitting there, um, cause I actually did the last shift before we closed, um, for, for the pandemic. And I remember doing the cleanup and just sitting there and looking around and ha it having this different sense to it, uh, a very haunted sense. Um, I remember wondering if people would ever be there again, or if this was just kind of how the shop would be now, if this was how all the shops would be now. Um, if we were really in the apocalypse, in the, the end of all these structures uh, that we've put up, that, that this would be the crumbling, that this would be like the fall of Rome or something like that. And this surreal feeling that I could choose either to be in this haunting, this, this absence, or this other haunting um, that has to do with more of a presence at home. And so I decided at home. But the interesting thing about that was that one of my roommates broke his leg about a week before everything closed up. And he had family in Sun River, so he uh, went there. And I was left with my other roommate, the one that I um, hadn't really gotten along with in the past. And it was this really weird time where those first couple weeks were so strange. It felt like getting a long vacation. I don't think it had really settled in yet. We were a little bored, and we mostly just played Skyrim. Um, in fact, there was a really interesting thing that happened with that. I... Uh, had it on my laptop and my roommate had it up on the projector and it's really interesting that um, we, we had this concordant set of games going but one of them was the 
the regular um, console version, and then I had mine that I must have taken a good 10 or 12 days nonstop to modify it and get it how I wanted with all these extra little modules and um, extra little side quests and items and uh, gameplay modifications. I, I, I think it was like a pure survival thing. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, in one sense, it was my own survival. Like I, I felt like I needed something that I could solve, but also too, on another context, like I turned it into a survival game. Um, I, I made it so that everything uh, decayed and I made it so that you had to worry about hot and cold and like what type of clothes you were wearing and uh, bumped up the challenge level like a lot. Um, <clears throat> and the whole idea was like for me, I wanted a challenge. I wanted to feel like I was doing something to survive, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, my roommate had kind of a different approach, and, and I don't think either of these is wrong, but his was to uh, look up online how to get the strongest uh, weapons and armor and, um, and, and see like how he could max things out. And, and perhaps most of that was just a, a difference in approach for like the stock version of the game versus the modified version of the game, I don't know, but... It was pretty interesting because for me, I was stuck at like some of the first levels, but um, he had played through the entire game being super overpowered. <laughs> and uh, we both kind of got bored of it at the same time. But about that time, uh, I was contacted by Jane because at this point she was living on her own. She had... Um, been wanting to do that for a while and the timing was bad she moved out just a couple months before the pandemic and uh, was living alone in in this big house and it wasn't a problem before because she had work and she would see co-workers and uh see uh patients and and all this kind of stuff she would see people a lot but then all of a sudden she's doing remote work and she only pe sees people through the screen. And that was grating on her. So she asked me if uh, if we had sort of a work schedule figured out. And we did. Um, mine was a lot less official because I had nothing to do for the bookshop uh, or the restaurant. So um, whenever my roommate had to work, I would just... Um, get to work on whatever I was getting to work on and it would sort of be this designated time. Uh, so I talked to him and uh, we both agreed, yeah, that sounds good. Let's, uh, let's have her come over when we're doing our work time stuff. And so she did and we did that for about a week and then um, we started going like, you know, uh, our roommate's not here. There's a spare room. Let's just talk to him and see, since he's hanging it like doing the whole pandemic thing down in Sun River with his family with his broken foot. Let's just see if, uh, if Jane can use the bed. And so we talked to him and that sounds fine and that works out. And, um, she starts living there. And then, um, my roommate that was there started feeling like a third wheel, which is pretty reasonable. Me and Jane weren't really dating at the time, but we were really close and we were doing a lot of things together, and um, 
it probably did feel like living with somebody like like living with a couple so um he didn't really like that and so we adjusted and i moved over to her place and that's kind of just where i stayed for the rest of the pandemic we ended up living together for um honestly i think more than a year we were there for quite a long time but moving into that house was interesting timing because by then the pandemic had been going on for about a month and there wasn't really any illusions anymore that it was going to be temporary there's beginning to be talks that this could go months on at a time and we really have to get the numbers down and um, we're starting to hear the first stuff of some people not quarantining which was confusing um and a lot of a lot of stuff became more uncertain then but also feeling a little bit more like a permanent state and because of that i i think just as a way collectively we we tried to um get rid of that loneliness by contacting people that we hadn't contacted in years um that's when i got back in touch with spooky for one um so that was a really cool thing and uh, there was people everywhere, um, all sorts of friends, old and new. Uh, one of them that really stands out is my friend Murph, who I had lived with at the 10th Street house way back, that Christian household um, of like strong men. <laughs> and uh, he was kind of a man's man for that. But uh, I had come to find out that he had gone through a divorce um, he was questioning his faith and he, he just all in all wasn't in the best spot and he kind of had alienated a lot of people because of some of his uh like coping mechanisms that, that involved a lot of anger and drinking and things like that um stuff that we learned was kind of okay to do but but the, like once you actually do it um, at least within Christian circles, there's like a certain threshold that seems to be okay and just manly. And then um, you get past that threshold and you're just like not okay. Um, he had had that a little bit, honestly, but um, he used to always describe it as demons, uh, his demons that he had to put at bay. But um, realistically, I would say probably it was just more family trauma and um n nobody giving a way to cope with it uh but it was good timing because he had contacted me and we had kicked it off really well and i understood where he was coming from a lot because i was dealing with all this stuff as well we were coming from very different angles but he was trying to work stuff out his divorce had been kind of a wake-up call for recognizing that um, maybe he needed some help or maybe he needed to work through some things. Um, and I think that that's actually part of the reason he reached out to me. But because of where he was at, I was able to be open and free with him about my um, psychedelic use. And that was really cool to have a friend to confide in. And, and I think he had the same sort of feeling where like, we were sort of the outcasts of this Christian community and it was less easy to believe that there was something wrong with either of us if both of us had had the same experiences. 
I think that we were both dealing with a lot of shame and we were both freeing each other from a lot of shame. So it was a really cool time. Um, I remember talking with him most every week, it seemed like, for a while. And then on the other hand, there was Spooky who was having this dissatisfaction with life, like something that felt so familiar to me that I could really like connect with and resonate with um, and be there for them with, which was like, I need to get out of this city. I was like, yeah, I get what you mean. And um, they were really just trying to like figure out a new way forward, figure out like what is um, a good way to handle this. And so later in the season, um, <laughs> that's funny. I just literally think of uh, 2020 as a season, like a long unending season. That's so weird. But later in the year is what I mean to say. Uh, spooky... I think this was uh, late summer, like maybe July, August, so mid to late summer, um, actually made a trip up to come see us because by then they had met Jane a little bit through um, just through like with the Skype and stuff like that. And we decided to host them so that they could come check out Oregon and see if they wanted to move, uh, move here. There were some really interesting things going on at that time. It was a new resurgence of uh, Black Lives Matter, and there was all this stuff in the news about like how dangerous Portland is, um, which wasn't really accurate in our experience. Um, but they had kind of a draw to Oregon in some form or another, and um, there was this tremendous sadness when they left because I thought like immediately, like, oh, Bend is not the place for them, but Portland absolutely is. Um, so there's this interesting like sadness uh, because I wanted this friend in the same town as me, but also this gratitude over the fact that they are only three hours away. And so that was a really cool, um, really cool moment to have of recognition. And it was pretty obvious right away. They um, had visited Portland and just came back and were like, this place is amazing. And I checked this out and that out and saw this. And um, I was just kind of like, I know, I know, because I know you, you're going to love it up there. And uh, so it was a pretty cool way to like give an encouragement um, and, and have some sadness and joy all intermixed at the same time. But between these two friends and, and others too, but they're the two that really kind of highlight it because they're both from really uh, pivotal points in my life um spooky with the sickness and murph with this um first time being out in the world on my own um there was this real sense of like camaraderie and in, in like being men in the world um in like trying to figure out what that means like being male more specifically um, growing up as men and, and trying to um, detangle some of the unhealthy patterns of like not talking things out and of uh, only showing anger as emotion and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So um, in the midst of that, I think we were all kind of working on our mental health individually too. Um, for me, at least, I had started going to counseling for the first time, and those were mostly remote, but there was 
um, once or twice where I was able to be in person and I was, it was kind of necessary for me to be in person because we were doing uh, EMDR, which is, uh, what is it? Electromagnetic desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a really simple technique. It's, it's basically just to get you in your body and um, to do like free word association. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but the long and short is it, it kind of seems to help uh, break the standard cycle that your mind and your body go into when it comes to trauma and um, lets you kind of bring a new perspective or new connections to it. Um, because of the free association, you end up um, you end up kind of getting these uh, other memories that are attached to it that maybe you wouldn't have thought were attached to it. Anyway, it's a lot of processing. And for me, because I can't seem to leave well enough alone, uh, I had actually started growing mushrooms because there was time to, um, because we're sitting there at the pandemic. And by then I thought that they were wonderful. Um, I thought that they had tremendous potential and I thought, you know, when's the next time I'm going to have a chance to figure out how to grow these dang things. We're stuck at home. Let's do it. And, uh, so I had, and I had already, um, had them dried and, and they were my own and, um, I had been meaning to test them out and see their potency. So I got back from my first session of EMDR and I took some mushrooms and I took a dose that was not crazy heavy. Um, I think it was about 1.5 grams. Um, that's enough to be psychedelic, but it's not enough to like lose track of reality. I, I mostly just wanted to enter into a different frame of mind, but because I was already emotional and I was already um, going through stuff, it went a lot deeper than I expected. And um, I had forgotten that we had said we would have dinner with Jane's parents and so um, I was totally out of my right mind. And um, we had to explain to them. Uh, <laughs> we had to explain to them what was going on and why it was okay. And um, why I would be okay, even though I didn't seem on my right mind. And uh, I don't remember much of that, to be honest. I remembered... Jane being a little mad at me later because she uh, didn't like being put in that situation. <laughs> and um, who who would? But uh, the big thing coming out of that was uh, this emotional release and this feeling of connection to these, um, these other uh, people that I had been talking to, to Murph and Spooky especially, and especially recognizing like the the depression that I was experiencing myself, which was why I had started counseling, and recognizing that Spooky had been dealing with depression for a long time, and Murph definitely had depression too, but he was kind of self-medicating. And so I, I sort of hatched this idea of like, okay, maybe October can be this great time where we like... It's a few months away. Let's plan it. Uh, we'll all meet 
in Reno uh, because Murph was in Las Vegas at the time. And we'll, we'll meet in Reno and we'll go into the middle of the forest and we'll kind of do this round robin, be there for each other collective trip. Um, and that was something that at that point Murph had actually talked about too. Um, so he was all in. And Spooky was kind of curious, a little bit more trepidatious, but um, trusted me. So we planned it and last minute some things kind of fell through with Murph and he wasn't able to make it. But there was another friend, a mutual friend of me and Spooky's. And so it was kind of still a trio thing. And I ended up going down there and we took the mushrooms. And I took a lighter dose because I wanted to kind of be uh, there for them. And it turns out because they were both on SSRIs, uh, the the mushrooms had no effect. And so it was kind of a bust. And it wasn't a not worthy time it was a really good time to reconnect with the both of them and uh especially spooky that connection seemed to stay afterwards and really um re-solidified the friendship uh we i i I really kind of mark that as the point where um because of that intentionality we kind of um recognized ourselves as lifelong friends maybe and it didn't really stick with the other guy but um i get home and i get a call from my friend katie who's another longtime friend from reno uh who knew uh murph and um she calls me because she has news for me, which is that Murph over the weekend had committed suicide. And best as I can tell, there was a fight. He had a girlfriend at the time and um, it just didn't go well and he got in a really bad headspace. And I can't blame myself for it because it was his stuff. It was his like quote unquote demons that he was dealing with. And as much as I search my brain to try to figure out if there was anything else I could have said last time I had talked to him when he had told me that he wasn't going to be able to make it, I can't think of anything. And to be honest, I don't know how it would have gone if he was there. Uh, it could have gone really well. It could have been something that was really healing for him that provided a breakthrough. Um, but it could have also not. It could have been that he had some stuff going on that would have been exacerbated from it and it could have been the same result and then it would have felt like it was my fault so the the truth of the matter is is it's a complicated messy thing and i still miss him because we had gotten pretty close but i i don't blame him and i don't blame myself and i don't think it's anybody's fault except to say that uh, society can be tough and cruel sometimes and these limits that we impose upon ourselves are pretty serious and they can get to be too much they can be deadly um, especially because it looks like part of the reason he felt overwhelmed and like too much was because he was in a healthy relationship and they were talking about things and all this stuff was coming to the surface and all of a sudden it mattered um, he wasn't just numbing all the time and uh, 
So the stakes were high, and, and they didn't win out. But the thing that really struck me was the aftermath, where it was me and another mutual friend from Reno that sort of headed up a, a wake for him, which we knew he would have liked, but um, we're surprised that nobody else was planning. And so we planned it out, and we, we got a bunch of people together, and all these people that I had thought he was so close to, the thing that they had all talked about was like, oh yeah, Murph, I just kind of lost touch and I haven't seen him in years. And I couldn't help but feel like that was the same with everybody in the room, that there's all these people that wanted to stay close to each other and just didn't really have a means and the striking thing there was that there were these people that were actually close to Murph, but none of them were the Christians. And I didn't quite know how to take that because I always associated Christianity with community. And in one sense, it was really cool to see how much he was loved by all these people that hadn't stayed in contact with him. They still loved him and they still wished that they would have been able to catch up with him. But all I could help but feel was like, so why aren't you guys all keeping up with each other too? And there was something about the conservative um, American Christian response to the pandemic that didn't seem to allow for the same experience that me and Murph and Spooky had, um, at least not on the same level, it didn't seem like. Like there was more of a... Uh, waiting for things to return to normal or trying to make things normal, uh, trying to get things back to before. And that sort of attitude didn't really allow for a sitting with or a being transformed by this strange liminal experience that seemed to upend everything in a moment's notice that came out of nowhere, that was totally out of control and just kind of wrecked our systems for a while. And I've actually seen this on a smaller level for these liminal experiences where some people have a psychedelic trip that is just absolutely life-changing and will um, totally shake you to your core, but in a fantastic way that gives you this love of life. And then for other people, it is just a another experience to tack on to experiences. It's um, so, something doesn't stick for some reason. And it turns out to be like a fun but forgettable experience and everything goes back to normal, or at least in their brains, everything goes back to normal. But if we want to follow the ways that classic mythologies and stories go, um, that would be maybe the part of the heroic journey of the rejection of the call. Or if you want to do like a fairy tale level, like maybe that's the first warning or the second warning. Um, those things that like mark like, okay, you know that this isn't going away, but the character that you're focusing on, they're kind of oblivious to it and they're just going on as if everything's normal. And I really just had this sense that like, that's what we're doing on a um, collective level. We had this wake up call, this warning sign flash in our faces and we just kind of like turned our head the other direction and continued walking the same path. 
And I was especially feeling this because at this point, travel was kind of opened up again. Um, we were getting surges, but really nobody was talking about uh, how different Thanksgiving is going to be. For the most part, people were going to just do Thanksgiving. Um, Halloween had come by and we had started to see signs that maybe things were going down. Um, ironically, deaths were going down during the time when everything was dying, which maybe should have been a, a cue that something was off, something was out of whack. Um, but yeah, we, we were in this state of like, okay, we've gotten through this somehow. Um, it seems like the general consensus was, uh, let's just have some family time with Thanksgiving. And of course, after all that, we had this huge surge post Thanksgiving and going into Christmas, uh, we had spikes and we just kind of got used to spikes. And even though there was more cases and more deaths in the spring in 2021, we just kind of let it happen. And we went back to living as if things are normal. And that never really sat well with me. And it still doesn't sit well with me of like, it's the same way we become callous to the deaths that we're not directly involved in when it comes to capitalism, when it comes to uh, class struggles, uh, the, the people that we can choose to ignore so that we can stay within our comfort, within our bubble. But even with realizing all that, it's really hard to go against the tide. And so at the beginning of 2021, when things started opening up again and uh, people started going about their day-to-day -day lives, the um, pandemic checks had run out, which by the way, was a crazy thing for me. It was super validating for the government themselves to say, yeah, minimal livable wage is this amount. And then they hand me 600 bucks a month. And for me to feel like I was uh, live in rich, uh, really kind of showed like that it, that my money problems were not my fault. It was super validating of like, Oh, I was literally just not getting paid enough. And I was having to work really hard to just live. And that was something that I didn't like. And I had really kind of internalized, like I, I need to find a different way out of that. Whatever that looks like, I don't want to stay in that situation where because of the way our society is structured, I will work really hard and feel like I'm never doing enough. Always feel the sense of shame that like, if I'm not okay, it must be because I'm doing something wrong. Because that's kind of what we're taught. And the pandemic was just such a switch for that of like, I felt okay for the first time in my entire adult life of like, no, I deserve this. I'm allowed to have this because everybody else has this. And the crazy thing about that was most of that money you went to super productive things. I went deeper into my coffee habit and started looking into the first steps of roasting. I was, um, I figured out where to print with my photos and I experimented a ton. I made calendars for people during the holidays. I was writing a bunch, I was listening to a bunch of lectures, and really diving in deep on a ton of topics. It felt like the first year that I was intentional about my reading, that it seemed to have a theme. Um, and 
all of that was possible because I had this base income that said that like no matter what my being is enough to deserve the basic needs of life and I'd never been told that before um explicitly maybe but not implicitly there was always this this thing of like no you need to work harder you need to do better uh you need to make yourself worthy of being here and so with all that in mind I didn't go back to the restaurant I just went back to the bookshop because the bookshop was more than that for me it was it was meaning it was purpose it was enjoyment and fulfillment and it never had to do with the paycheck and I was glad for the paycheck because I knew that those um, pandemic paychecks were going to run out and I needed some way to keep the game going. But it was a different set of questions. It wasn't a set of like, how can I make it rich or how can I uh, climb the ladder or how can I uh, pick myself up by the bootstraps or whatever. But it was like, no, I want to be in this place because I love coffee and I love books and I love people and this has all of that. So as I'm trying to settle into as new of a rhythm as I can with everything going back to normal, um, Jane is sort of doing the same thing. And for her, it took a different path, which was um, getting an RV and going and traveling for a while and really kind of trying to um, awaken an adventurous spirit. Um, so I couldn't live at her place anymore because she wasn't living at her place anymore. And so I moved back in with my old roommates, except the one that had broken his leg actually uh, moved out and moved in with another friend and his cousin moved in with us. <laughs> so um, it was sort of the same situation, but also not. And there was something about those dynamics that really um, allowed me and the roommate that didn't like me, Jane, in the same house as him, uh, it allowed for us to really connect well. Um, and I don't know why I haven't said his name at this point. He would be totally okay with me saying his name. So, um, it, it, th yeah, that's that's a weird thought. But uh, his name's Christian. And Christian, at this point, had started going through some questioning and some figuring some stuff out as far as his faith goes as well. Uh, and it was the coolest thing because, for me, I didn't really expect that. I didn't see any of that when I had left, when the pandemic had started. And um, I get back and all of a sudden, like, we're on the same page. And it's this fantastic surprise. And uh, all of a sudden, we're a lot closer. And we're a lot more um, understanding of each other and having these deep conversations, these really good conversations that I had always had with the previous roommate that I was still kind of feeling the loss from. And um, so, yeah, it was this really cool, interesting time where all of a sudden I don't have Jane in my life anymore on a larger scale because she goes off and does the RV thing and then I have Christian in my life again and um and we're all close so this whole new balance and 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 rhythm sort of happens for a while and then Jane gets back and she needs to find a living situation and she finds a place at um this converted motel that um each separate room is uh a separate rental unit and there's like 15 people there and they all share this like giant kitchen and the whole idea is to be intentional uh they called it the roost um i think that was actually the name of the motel before but they just kind of kept the name and uh yeah it was this intentional living community that she found herself in and 
Um, meanwhile, back at the living situation where I'm at, uh, my two roommates are looking to um, enter into a new chapter of life. So Christian's looking to go back to school and Josh is looking to go back home uh, to a bunch of friends that he miss. misses. I just realized I didn't say Josh's name until now. Josh was the cousin of the other roommate. So um, yeah, all of a sudden everybody's moving around and I realized that I'm going to be moving around too because I'm looking for something a little more intentional as much as I like the situation with Christian, I, I want something more than that, um, bigger than that. Not not that it wasn't a close enough relationship. It's just that like I wanted more relationships besides just one uh, within my living situation. And maybe it's kind of a return, um, realizing that there was some really good things about the 10th Street House that I was still kind of missing, that I, I liked living in a larger community. I liked having more people around me. So I, I kind of wanted to find a way back to that within a new context, within a context that wasn't so religious. So um, I decided that I'm going to move there. And then I terminate the, we all terminate the lease. And um, I stay as like a guest for, um, I don't know, maybe a month. But as I'm doing that, after my lease is already terminated, uh, everybody finds out that the owner of this place had decided to sell it. And he didn't tell anybody. Um, they all kind of found out on their own. They found the ad. And they approach him about it. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, and he kind of flounders around. And then he says, um, you know, if you guys move out quicker, I'll give you extra money. And so people start fleeing the place really quick. And we start looking for stuff um, because we me and Jane expected we were going to live there. And um, by then, already, uh, the other two roommates, they have gone off and done their thing, so I can't really go back. It's another one of those situations where um, there's like a want to return to normal, but there is no normal to turn back to. <laughs> and so I um, basically, we, we spend the next month trying to find a place, and we're like, uh, we're in it with a couple of the other people, from the roost that that like we still want the intentional living community and we're trying to make it work and it just doesn't it like things keep falling through first off everything is way more expensive and we don't know what to do about that and then second off it's like way more cutthroat than i ever remembered it i mean we had one that we thought was a sure deal that just fell through because we didn't respond in time which was uh 24 hours and um we're just kind of like floundering around and we're recognizing like, meanwhile, this guy's going to kick us out because he wants to sell this place and we can't stay here longer. So me and Jane just kind of like, we have this moment where we're like, you know what? We have backpacking gear. We've been out in nature a bunch. We've been doing this for a couple years now where we just go on like overnight trips. Like, why don't we just do that for the summer and just save a ton of money? And uh, so we do that. And I take my first month's rent, which felt kind of scary, to be honest. But I took what I had um, and I got a solar setup and a cooler that I could put in my truck and a truck bed cover so I could keep everything safe. And um, we've been doing that ever since. So it's been pretty interesting because there have been times where we've been able to be in a house for different reasons. Um, at one point, our tent got stolen, and Jane's parents allowed us to stay there, which was fantastic. Um, 
right now, the timing was really lucky. We had a friend who went out of town for a week and they let us stay at their house, but um, then we got COVID and now they're letting, um, they're letting me stay here while I quarantine, um, while Jane's quarantining at her parents. So it's, um, we've been really lucky along the whole way and we've seen some people out there who aren't as lucky and it's kind of wild to see, to be honest. I, I think this is the, the, the slow, long-term repercussions, implications of the pandemic coming through. Like, uh, it shook things up. Like, like rental stuff is all weird and um, people who had the fallback don't anymore and, and people are trying to find new ways to live and to be. And um, some of the places that we've been going to are just packed with people. And some people are traveling through and it's just summertime and they want to visit Bend. But a lot of people are from here and they're just finding a way to live. And it's another one of those things that was always, for me, like that was the uh, you never allow yourself to get in this situation kind of spot. Like, oh, there's those homeless people and uh, they've made choices in life and, and don't be like them. You know, always have a fallback. Don't get to the point where you would end up like that. Um, but that's not what we're doing. I actually have more money than I've had in a while because I'm not paying $900 in rent a month. And I'm looking at the future for the first time because I decided that I like this and I like living a little more simply. And I like the mobility that it affords me. And there are some amenities that I want a little bit more, but not too much. Mostly I just want to find a way that I can do this through the winter time. And so with that, I am working on getting a truck bed camper, um, basically an RV that just sits on top of the back of the truck. And um, that's hopefully the long-term goal. And it's interesting because it sounds like a step down, but that's not my experience of it at all. It's It definitely feels like a step up because I am so tired and I've been so tired for so long of paying rent every single month and it just kind of going off into the ether. The the system, the structures, uh, really drove home to me as I was going through this process. I'd realized I've been paying rent for about 10 years and that's a lot of money. A lot of money that I don't get to keep, that I don't get to use for what I want to use. And um, somebody else gets the advantage of that. That's going to somebody else's uh, portfolio, somebody else's um, retirement plan, whatever. Uh, not mine. And so as a certain way to, to take charge of my own life, uh, that's part of this whole thing, to have a little bit more autonomy, but that's just the means to an end also because at the end of the day, my goal, my, my want, my desire is to connect with people more and to have more of an abundance that I can overflow on others. That's something that I got in the habit of with the bookshop where um, probably I would say at least a couple times a month I'll give away a book and it's the funnest game to try to decide when I'll do that. And it's such a joy. It's so freeing to be able to um, give a gift to somebody else and not expect something in return or not quantify it, but just go like, I liked this and I think you'll like it. 
take it. Um, let your life be enriched. And, and I want to be able to have more output like that. So the long-term goal for me is to um, get a camper, pay off the camper, and uh, live out of it and just have that extra money. Keep steady with the job, keep steady with connections that I have, and be able to dive into those connections deeper because I can just on a moment's notice drive right out, bring my home with me. Um, as I look at it too, it's really uh, an exciting prospect as far as being able to upgrade. I've been thinking a lot about the environment lately and a lot about the ways that we destroy our homes. So like how fitting to have my own home be something that's a little bit more eco-friendly. Uh, it won't be at first because I've got my truck, but there are electronic trucks out there and they're getting cheaper. And so my plan is to be able to kind of modulate the upgrades and, and slowly get cleaner and cleaner as I go. So that's where I'm at now. Uh, right now it's this strange liminal space. As I said at the beginning, I have COVID and I don't know uh, like the course of it. To be honest, I'm in unknown territory because I'm still doing the uh, keto diet and it seems to interact differently um, with the virus. Uh, honestly, I haven't been sick since I started keto back in 2018, and this feels different than most sickness. And the duration seems a little bit different. Um, obviously, this is just a sample size of one, so I can't know for sure if that's really what's causing the difference or if I just happen to have a unique case of COVID. But um, all signs are pointing to I should be pretty much asymptomatic by tomorrow. But again, I can't know that. Um, every Everybody's case is different. And so it's been a good opportunity to uh, really um, sit with it and get reacquainted with a lot of the feelings that I was feeling in 2020 that kind of started to lay dormant. Um, to, to really take a moment and go like, yeah, you know, like I don't have any guarantees. This could be my last night. Um, things could go really bad. And um, I, I could be dead by tomorrow or on my way to death by tomorrow. Um, and it's not likely, but it's possible. And it's been a while since it's felt that way, since there's been a sense of... Uh, a sense of gratitude over life and maybe a sense of not necessarily urgency to get something out there but a sense of um who knows if i don't do it now who knows if i'll be able to do it later or not and as i was thinking about that i almost had this thought of like oh no this is almost too perfect should i not do the podcast because it's this this big season of uh the theme of death and acceptance like how horribly wonderfully poetic would that be if I passed away right after I finished it and then I thought about that more and I thought you know there's another way of looking at that too which is like if it has that level of meaning um going one way then didn't it always have that meaning and that's something that I've been thinking about like opening up possibility of what stories give us they don't necessarily have to go a certain way for the possibility of them going that way to inform how we view them and so just opening up that thought that like i could have died and that could have been the end as i'm talking about death 
um, really kind of lets me know that there's a lot of meaningful things here already. A lot of things that are um, universal and that are deep that would have a significance when I'm gone. Because that was one of the things that I realized with Murph's funeral, uh, with his wake, was that there was all these things that people were able to say about him that they couldn't say when he was alive. That there were certain narratives um, that they always knew uh, that were always true, but they had an added potency in his absence. And I talked about that on some of the first episodes, but I think that's true for all things in life. Um, often we don't realize the significance of something until it's completed or until it's done. But if we take some intentionality and we allow ourselves to imagine what it would be done, like what it would be like if it goes a certain way, then I think it allows for us to um, see the significance there while we can still enjoy it. And so that's kind of my thought. Um, there's going to be a second part to this episode that I will put out tomorrow. And I do mean I will put it out tomorrow. <laughs> um, but uh, that second part is almost kind of uh, a bonus is is a reveling in the gratitude of it all that the game is not finished that this infinite game gets to keep going that the endless creativity doesn't have to stop that the the flow is continuing and that there doesn't have to be an end yet that that we can keep going keep going deeper keep going broader um finding new avenues to explore um that that the exploration has just begun